This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we've got a phenomenal program. Uh, but we should say before we get to our guest, it is a snow day around here. It's dumping uh, what the what the kids would call fresh pow pow. And if I wore a younger man's clothing, I would probably be out there shredding the gnar. That's, that's, you definitely would be. But instead, uh, you and I are actually... Instead, we're we're coming to you uh, over the phone uh, to get this episode out on time. But we're actually yes. in the same office. It's it's really that uh, the gear is out uh, out somewhere in the valley. Yeah, yeah. Secret. Uh, you know, even though he did get the F one fifty fired up, he just couldn't get it out to Vancouver. <laughs> or did he leave this does since it's diesel does he just leave it running overnight i thought yeah well, it was running it was running it's just he couldn't get out of his driveway yeah yeah but partly because he doesn't know how to drive the, the truck and the snow was <laughs> it was just the it was just a reversing um and the parallel parking downtown that, that prevents him from coming in um <laughs> but on a on a serious note though matt we have a phenomenal episode today and and if you don't like this episode, you really don't like the environment because it is one that is going to help solve the climate crisis. We have Frank Lowenstein. He's the chief conservation officer at the New England Forestry Foundation. He's also an instructor at the Harvard University Extension School. 
um, and the lead author of a New York Times article that we both read and thought was phenomenal. It's called Let's Fill Our Cities with Taller Wooden Buildings. Yeah, and this is uh, this is the article's great. We'll link to the article from the New York Times. But there's a few things uh, that this article, or a few ways this article made me think differently. One is that we talk every day about uh, the the positives and negatives of both concrete construction here in Vancouver and wood frame construction, but right. rarely do we think about it uh, from from the perspective of how wood frame construction can actually. Uh, mitigate the climate crisis that we're facing right now. Uh, and secondly, you know, I always think about global warming and and how density is is really a way to help uh, fight against the climate crisis. But this is kind of interesting from this idea that uh, build dense and with wood frame uh, construction as opposed to concrete, and and we're kind of doubling up on the efforts. Uh, so it's it's a really fantastic conversation with Frank. Yeah, no, I'm really excited about this. And uh, so much comes out of this conversation. And we kind of we, we, we've kind of sh- shaped it around the environment. But really, it's it's just interesting. If you're interested in, in construction at all, um, I think this is a really interesting conversation and uh, one that uh, I learned a lot. So I'm sure you will as well. But Matt, we also have the Oakland tip before we get to our conversation with Frank. That's right. So we are sponsored here at the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast by Oakland Realty. That's our new brokerage. Such a such an energetic and dynamic place. They're doing such great things over at Oakland. The tip this week uh, is centered around completing on a property, whether you're buying or selling. And the tip is right. think about closing on your property on a Monday through Thursday. That is not on a Friday. It may help if an issue arises. It, you have an extra business day to work things out with your legal team. Right. Matt, I love this tip and I love it for one reason. Imagine that you are completing on a Friday and you're excited and everything's good to go, except uh, there's a foot of snow when you wake up in the morning and basically the whole city has shut down. Um, We're kind of feeling this right now. And I don't know. I mean, I bet there's some notaries that are not in the office today. I bet there's some lawyers that are not in the office, perhaps working remotely. But why put that pressure on? Why not give yourself a little bit of time? Give yourself an extra. Well, is the land titles office before the weekend today? Right? Is the land title maybe land titles are shut down? Who knows? We we have no idea. We have not verified any of this, and nor will we. We're but, just spitballing uh, here. We are, but it, it is really a great tip. Um, try to complete a Monday through Thursday. Give yourself and your lawyer or your notary time for registration, and uh, you'll be happy that you did so. If there is an issue, for sure. That's right. So that's our Oakland tip. Before we uh, before we move on, we have our tip, and we should say last week's tip, Adam. This was your tip. Uh, bop it. Kind of regretting turns out, this tip. Turns out, uh, <laughs> I thought I thought basically you invented bop it. <laughs> it's been around for a while. <laughs> this is like this is like uh, your your tip was uh, get a VCR. Yeah, my tip was brutal. I, you know, what's crazy is that I. Here's the thing: I did think I invented Bop It. The young guys at the office were teasing me pretty hard, and then we've had some feedback from listeners that, uh, you know, I, I think the way it I brought, talked about it too, I was like, "There's this thing called Bop It." Um, I thought I, I thought it was a new game. First of all, turns out it's been around for years. Uh, it basically shaped the youth of the millennials. 
and I didn't. I'd You're never under heard thirty. Of this, yeah, this, yeah. Also, we just got an email from a guy who's like, "Oh man, you brought me back to my youth." Like it was like a nostalgic uh, run yeah. into the past with Bob at the that we thought was a brand new toy. So yeah. Anyway, we'll keep these good. <laughs> also, tips not coming. for adults. It's not yeah. for adults at all. <laughs> so we got another yeah, good uh, another good tip this week. Uh, this one revolves around uh, another passing fad: intermittent fasting. Uh, I don't know if this is a passing fad. I think it's just a it, it's a, it's it's maybe just the way you guys are doing it. I think you guys are incorrectly intermittent. Fasting. So so I think well we we should we've talked about intermittent fasting I think on the program before this is the idea that you only eat 8 hours a day right so you go from say noon to 8 and it allows your body to uh it gives your body a break from digesting food and you know you you lose weight you feel better you're healthier all the all this positive stuff there's this big TED talk on it you know totally was going to transform my life so here's the tip I'm doing it right now don't cram three days of eating into each eight hour period of eating. <laughs> <laughs> I, and me, you're not doing this, Adam. You're doing your own thing now. But but Secret and, and myself are both trying this fasting intermittently. And uh, I don't know if it's working. I feel like I'm eating way worse. I feel like every night at about 745, I'm watching the clock and then I mash a large uh, cake into my face so I can make it to noon yeah. the next day. Like I really, I feel like I'm eating worse. I feel like I'm eating more. Uh, I feel like I'm actually probably less healthy if, if anything. Uh, I don't know. And secret of course is, is deep in the woods. He couldn't be here to, to talk about it, but I know he's uh, he feels the same. So anyway, if anyone out there is successfully fasting intermittently or intermittent fasting uh let us know what we're doing wrong i have an idea but uh well yeah you, you actually you were so so friend of the show ty mcdonald i think was successfully intermittent fasting D- yeah don't remind and me he was the one who actually encouraged you to do it and and ty you know like usually his just walking around weight is like ryan goslin uh pretty much right like that guy, yeah. he's he's in great shape. He's he's the reason that you started intermittent fasting. But I don't yeah. think Ty's punching cakes into his face. That's the difference. Um, <laughs> I think it's your consistent cake punching uh, that is just really working against. Anyways, and also uh, we'll like the to get idea, Ty on the show. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to get him on. But it's it's funny because it almost like before I didn't really have an issue with eating late at night, uh, and now I just have this. Like it's eight at night where I literally have like a 10 minute window um, of heavy, uh, heavy eating. So anyway, so to summarize, Matt, you're hangry and you're still overweight. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't thought about it that way, but that's basically <laughs> exactly it. But before we get before we cut to the talk with Frank here, we should also say Ramey Films. We did a, a, a snow day live event on YouTube over at the Bento Box, live at the Bento Box with Ramey Films. He's doing phenomenal work over there. He has a ton of live shows that are going out all week long. So check out rainyfilms.com and live at the Bento Box. But let's let's without further ado, Adam, we should we should get to Frank Lowenstein. This is this is a very enlightening conversation. Yeah, for sure, Matt. So here's our interview with Frank Lowenstein. Enjoy, guys.
Okay, so we're here with Frank Lowenstein, the Chief Conservation Officer at the New England Forestry Foundation, and also the instructor at Harvard University Extension School. How are you doing, Frank? I'm well. It's a beautiful, sunny winter day here in the Boston area. Similar. We've had rain for about three weeks straight here, and it's cleared up today. So, uh, yeah, we're we're happy with the weather here in Vancouver as well. Thanks, Thanks so much for taking the time, Frank. Absolutely. Can, can you start maybe by telling us uh, a little bit about yourself? Oh, sure. Um, so let's see. I, uh, I, enjoy, I enjoy Cajun dancing and playing the string bass, <laughs> um, but that probably isn't what you mean. Um, I, uh, I've been working in the climate and forest conservation space for about 30 years. I'm the chief conservation officer here at New England Forestry Foundation and head up our uh, Center for Exemplary Forestry that works to uh, look at how forests and wood products can play a role in solving the climate crisis. Um, New England Forestry Foundation has been around uh, 75 years, um, and uh, from the beginning we've had a twofold mission, uh, conserve the forests of New England and also uh, ensure that those forests are well managed. And today we see that those two um, mission goals uh, can uh, come together in service of really everyone on the planet uh, as part of the solution to the climate crisis. And so we're hard at work on that. I also teach um, land conservation strategies and practices at both the Harvard Extension School and at Brandeis University. And I also teach uh, a course on climate policy and science and economics as part of uh, as part of the environmental studies faculty at Brandeis. So just just before we get to the kind of crux of the conversation here Frank you've been working uh in that space you said for 30 years like has it been have you have you seen a meaningful change over the last 30 years or has it been kind of a a frustrating experience just curious um because uh, I think a lot of people are feeling pretty frustrated out there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, certainly we need to do much more than we've been able to do. Um, and um, uh, so there's a there's a natural frustration with that with anyone who's who's you know well informed about the climate problem um, recognizes that we need to do more. Um, and certainly there in British Columbia with the mountain pine beetle outbreaks that you guys have faced that have really been driven by the warmer winters that have been experienced all across the Rocky Mountain region of North America. Um, you know, you, you're kind of in many ways ground zero for, for beginning to see those climate impacts in the forest. At the same time, I am optimistic um, because I'm seeing that the di- the discussion is becoming much more sophisticated, um, and the tools for uh, conducting analysis and understanding what the options really are are becoming better. Um, more people are becoming convinced that uh, we really do need to do something about this. Um, I I do a fair amount of, uh, of fundraising as well as uh, science and policy. Uh, and um, 20 years ago, when I talked to major donors in New York City, a lot of them were climate skeptics. And now when I talk to those same sort of corporate leaders, they're not anymore. Right. Um, and uh, so, 
I'm seeing real shifts in attitude, and I think we're on the verge of very of being able to achieve some very rapid progress. Oh, that's that's uh, very good to hear. <laughs> yeah, with with <laughs> yeah. Australia burning here, that's that makes me feel a little better. Yeah, and I mean the Australian situation is just terrifying. Um, you know the the fact that you have forests that have been wet uh, perhaps since the dinosaurs walked the planet and that have never burned before, that are burning extensively, is horrifying, as is the loss of life and loss of homes and the loss of now, the estimates are, a full billion individual animals. I mean, it's just astounding. Yeah. Um, and uh, unfortunately, we're likely to see that same sort of devastation, whether from fire or from flood, um, in many, many parts of the world before we get things under control and and um, move towards uh, a new normal as well. I don't think we'll be getting back to normal, um, but at least to a normal we can manage. Right. So, but I, I, I'm fundamentally an optimist and, you know, I think forests and real estate and buildings all have an important role to play in that optimism. Well, well, part of the reason that we brought you on, um, Frank, is you were the lead author in an article in the New York Times recently entitled, Let's Fill Our Cities with Taller Wooden Buildings. Trees are some of our best allies in solving the climate crisis. Why did you write this article? Well, we wrote the article um, because the organizations that uh, that came together to work on it, the individuals from those organizations, uh, New England Forestry Foundation, the Harvard Forest, Brandeis University, and Highstead Foundation, have really been doing a lot of work together on uh, forests and on what we can do with forests. And we thought that this was the the time to sort of summarize that work. Now, first of all, a lot of people are concerned about deforestation, and they should be. You know, the fires in the Amazon last summer got a lot of attention, and those fires, many of them are triggered by agricultural clearing or are set in order to accomplish agricultural clearing. And the tropical rainforests store a lot of carbon per acre, so those losses of forests in the Amazon have a really huge outsized impact on climate change. But we're losing forests, you know, it's not a developing country issue. We're losing forests in Canada and the United States as well. Um, and one of the ways that we're, that we're losing forests here in New England, one of the primary ways is through this dispersed residential development, you know, sort of people moving to the suburbs or wanting their second home in the country and end up with all the rural roads out across the New England landscape lined with homes. And once those forests are cut, they, the carbon in them, uh, a lot of that carbon is released. And if it's turned into a lawn, then the potential future carbon storage is greatly reduced. So we sort of felt like we need to call attention to the loss of forests as an issue. At the same time, New England Forestry Foundation has been doing a lot of work on quantifying the benefits of really, really high-quality forestry. We call it exemplary forestry. We do a decent amount of work with Ecotrust in the Pacific Northwest, and they have a similar approach that they call climate-smart forestry. The basic idea is how do we grow more carbon per acre on um, 
uh, on our forest lands? How do we store more carbon in living trees through the practice of forest science, silviculture? Um, and at the same time, uh, continue to produce wood. Um, so you don't need to stop harvesting altogether in order to store more carbon and to grow more carbon per acre per year. So that was the second point that we wanted to make in the article is we wanted to call that forward. And finally, there's, you know, there's this new technology for using wood to build taller buildings. And, um, you guys there in Vancouver are way ahead of us. Um, you have the Brock Commons at the University of British Columbia that right. until, uh, earlier, early in 2019 was, uh, was the tallest wood building in the world. Now it's the second tallest. Um, and, you know, those tall wood buildings offer huge opportunities for new ways to use, uh, wood, uh, both um, both to store carbon in the buildings, but also to, you know, not use as much steel and concrete, which, you know, we tend to burn coal to create. So we saw a threefold, fundamentally, we saw a threefold climate benefit that we could speak to with some authority that we didn't think was very much in the public consciousness yet. So that's that's fascinating. So Frank, when a lot of people think of of wood construction, um, especially in a city like Vancouver, where a lot of it is steel and concrete and glass, um, they think of the 1970s walk-ups, um, you know, and with you know horrible sound transfer, um, fire risk potential, and and a whole mm-hmm. whole bunch of other challenges. So how has wood construction changed over the past few decades? And can you talk a little bit about the new technologies? Yeah, absolutely. Um, sort of fundamental to the, let's start with the technologies actually. Uh, a fundamental piece has been this new, uh, use of wood called cross laminated timber. It's sometimes called plywood on steroids. It's really not enormously sophisticated. You take a bunch of two by fours or two by sixes or two by eights and you glue them edge to edge to create a big flat surface. And then you take another bunch of the same wood and you glue it perpendicular to that in another layer. So you're, you're creating these, uh, the strong, the strong line of the wood going in opposite directions and you can make the panels, you can keep adding layers to make the panels as thick and strong as you need them to be. So you end up with a panel that's maybe eight to 12 feet tall and as much as 60 feet long. And maybe anywhere from, you know, seven inches to a foot is thick. Um, uh, sorry, I should be using centimeters. Sorry. No, no, you know what? Uh, it, it, we, we, uh, we think in inches and feet, so. Okay, good. Um, anyway, so these panels are uh, enormously strong. And, of course, they're solid. They're not like the walls in most homes that are you know, a stud every 16 inches or what have you. They're, they're solid wood. So there's a lot of carbon actually stored in that wood that then is locked up in the wall of the building. And these CLT panels can be used for roofs and floor panels. They can be used for wall panels. They can, um, you can build tall buildings just with CLT. You can use glue lamb, which is an older technology of growing of gluing wood into beams uh, to support the CLT or you can hang the CLT off of a steel frame um, so it's a it's a very adaptable material but its fundamental qualities are 
because of its tremendous strength and also fire resistance, uh, you can use it to build um, very tall wood buildings like the Brock Commons. And and just um, maybe it's useful to back up. Can can you talk a little bit, or not necessarily back up, but can you talk a little bit about why kind of the current practices, the concrete and steel construction is is problematic? Well, sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, concrete and steel construction has has been around a long time. Um, you know. The skyscrapers in New York City were ten, were built in many of them were built in the first half of the 20th century, and you know it was a great technology at the time. It, it locked it unlocked the 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 sky. It unlocked the ability to take advantage of the space above the buildings that had been built to then till that point. So there, I don't want to knock it as a technology, but in an era of climate change, it has a problem which is that in order to build these buildings, you have to make concrete and steel. And right now, the primary technologies that are used for making concrete and steel require heating the raw materials to over 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit uh, each. Um, So what is that, around 1,600 Celsius? Um, So, uh, you know, that's – and the way that is – typically done in both concrete and steel manufacture is by burning coal. So that uh, the right now, the construction of new buildings is responsible for about 11% of global carbon emissions, and the vast majority of that is associated with the production of steel and concrete. So if we could build the same buildings and give the public the same utility, the same safety, um, the same use of space that they're used to and that um, and maybe even make the buildings more beautiful and more interesting at the same time and not raise the cost and get rid of 11% of our carbon emissions overnight, well, that's that's a pretty big win. And and so just so uh, and there's a there's a building uh, a timber frame building I think uh, coming to downtown Vancouver pretty soon that's mm-hmm. that's quite high but but how high how high can we can we build like you know currently most of the new construction in in downtown Vancouver at least is is you know between fifty and sixty stories um, are, is that possible. It's theoretically possible, yes. Um, Michael Green, who's an architect from Vancouver, has actually done a a detailed plan for how you could recreate the Empire State Building out of timber. Um, So you could do it. And there's a group that is proposing, I think it is a 60-story wood building in Chicago. I haven't heard how that has progressed. But I don't think that's the... You know, that's sort of the outside edge of, of where people are using it. That would be like really innovative and there'd be a lot of design and, and testing and expense involved in doing that. Whereas the new International Building Code, which of course governs construction in the U.S. and Canada, uh, that goes in, that's the 2021 version of that code, um, and is already in effect in Oregon and Washington. Uh, allows up to 18-story wood buildings as a as a by right, you know, sort of go to your building inspector with your plan and say it meets this code, and he signs off, he or she signs off on it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so you know I think the 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 quicker adoption is going to be in the six to eighteen story uh, realm uh, where it's going to be and you know totally under the existing building code um, and it'll be routine. Mm-hmm. What what are some of the the downsides of building with with wood? Um, wow. What are the it, I was going to say it doesn't sound like there's many. Like, are there any challenges there, yeah. right now that uh, that are kind of you know like we're almost there, uh, but not quite. Um. Uh, boy, yeah. Uh, no, <laughs> there's, <laughs> yeah. There's things. There's things you have to do right. Um, so, for example, um, wood will carry sound. So if you're doing a residential structure, you need to include sound breaks. You know, typically uh, one building I've seen did that by having a, a layer of rubber insulation between floors, um, you know, just a thin, hard rubber layer um, to block the sound. You know, there's there's different ways to do that. So you have to pay attention to things like that. Um, but, you know, I think that, you know, this technology came into use in Europe in the early 2000s. The first of these tall wooden buildings, you know, sometimes called ply scrapers, uh, was uh, built in England around 2009. Um, and, you know, we have a decade of now of them spreading around the world and, and architects and engineers uh, innovating with what you can do with them. And the results are incredibly impressive. These buildings are beautiful. There's things you can do with the with the CLT and the glue lamb that you really can't do with uh, with steel and concrete. So it's opening up new design possibilities, and you know they're um, they're environmentally healthy buildings. They're very well sealed, so they're easy to heat and cool. Plus, the wood itself um, sort of has thermal qualities that make it feel warmer um it's really hard to come up with a with a downside to them they're um you know you can put them up with uh with relatively uh you know uh, relatively quickly with little disruption you don't have as much dust and noise as you might have from the construction of a, a steel and concrete building you know they're they're just great <laughs> um, what, one thing that that we kind of talked about before we we came on the air here was just public perception and some of the maybe some of the challenges with um, getting the general public and home buyers on board. I know that you know yep. in Vancouver specifically, construction tends to sell at a higher price per square foot than wood wood construction. And I know that um, at least people that have you know rented or owned in 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 older wood frame buildings. Um, often they they swear off wood frame and they they move into concrete and that's and that's uh, kind of what <laughs> where their headspace is largely because of the sound transfer. Yeah, a lot of a lot of it has to do with sound transfer. But the, the but the big thing is so how do we um how do we how do we change public perception about about wood construction? Well, I I think we've seen that a lot of the early adopters have been in the sort of hospital and university space. Um, for example, here in New England, uh, the University of Massachusetts built its new design building out of cross-laminated timber. They have this really cool um, 
cross-laminated timber and glue lamb truss system that sort of looks like a weird zipper running down the ceiling of the of the central atrium. It's gorgeous. Um, and uh, the Rhode Island School of Design just built its new dormitory out of CLT and steel, a hybrid structure. Um, so we're seeing that those early adopters tend to be some of those groups that want to distinguish themselves and that maybe are facing a certain amount of particular pressure to address the climate issue. Um, so I think we'll see the early adopters there. And then I think as the public goes into these buildings and sees how usable and comfortable and gorgeous they are and sees that they do you know, do everything that I'm saying they're going to do, mm-hmm. that they're going to hold up well and they're going to be fire resistant and all this stuff, that that will, over time, change perception. I think, though, that there's, um, you know, one of the challenges that we have with the climate situation is that we have delayed aggressive action so long that now we need to move very, very quickly. Uh, the international, the intergovernmental panel on climate change in their October 2018 report basically said, as a, as a planet, we have 20 years to get to net zero emissions. And so that's, that's a, that's a crazy pace of change. So we, we may need some outreach and some education to help the public understand the benefits of these wood buildings and their, and their suitability more quickly than will happen organically. Um, so, you know, for example, on the fire resistance issue, um, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms here in the United States uh, tested CLT for fire resistance. And they did that by building uh, five two-room CLT apartments and furnishing them from Ikea and then lighting them on fire. Um, and the videos are up on YouTube, and they are astounding. I mean, there's this thing that happens in fires called flashover that I had never heard of, but it apparently happens all the time in fires where once temperatures reach a certain level, the whole room just lights on fire instantly, which is why they tell you to get out and call the fire department. Don't fight it yourself. Um, good advice. Right. So the CLT buildings did the CLT apartments did flashover just like any other apartment would because it's driven by the furnishings in the apartment, not what it's built of. But then they self-extinguished even when they turned off the sprinklers in some of the tests. The the um, the CLT self-extinguished, um, and that's because it chars on the outside, and then the oxygen can't get through to the wood underneath. And so even though that wood is getting hot uh, from the fire, these fires hit quite high temperatures inside these apartments, um, it didn't catch the interior wood on fire because there's no source of oxygen. So the wood just heated up and then cooled back down. Yeah. Yeah, the char layer and then that inner wood that's sheltered by that char layer from oxygen um, retains strength so the building doesn't fall down. So if there's – it seems like there's the – if I understand what you're saying, that kind of education has to move very quickly in order to educate uh, for the marketplace. Is there any challenges uh, from kind of systemic challenges in in the in, – in terms of skilled labor and in, in the construction community in terms of working with uh, with this material or, or is that pretty much – plug and play? Um, 
So I'm I'm not an architect or engineer. I'm a I'm a forest <laughs> ecologist. Um, but my understanding is that uh, these materials are very easy to work with. Um, there's a uh, there's a uh, the Forte building in um, Melbourne, Australia. Uh, they built four towers. I believe they are, I believe they're nine stories each. And, um, one of them they built out of CLT and the other three they built out of steel and concrete. And the CLT one went up in 27 work days with a crew of four. Wow. One crane operator, one foreman, and two guys with really, really big screw guns. (laughs) So, um, you know, we do face uh, here in New England. We face a shortage of skilled construction labor, and it's holding up projects. And we also face a shortage of major construction cranes that are capable of lifting concrete panels that weigh much more than CLT. Right. So, if you can do it with smaller cranes and you can do it with less labor, that's a real plus here. Maybe as a as a as a last question, Frank, and we know we you touched on it in the beginning, but um, for for the folks out there that are not as kind of um, tuned in to, you know, the, the climate crisis and, and what's causing it, can you spell out exactly how, how holding in carbon in, in these in these buildings can really help solve the issues of, uh, of the climate crisis? Sure. Yeah. So there's there's three carbon benefits to these wood buildings. Um, the first is if you're not building out of concrete and steel, you're not emitting the carbon that you would have to make, that you would have to emit to create the, car, the steel and the concrete. So you have less emissions from the start. In addition, you're putting wood into the building and protecting it from the elements. That wood is contains carbon. About half the weight of wood is carbon. Um, And so if you're managing your forest sustainably, and that's another piece of the whole equation, you have to manage your forest well. If you're managing your forest sustainably, then essentially your forest is pumping carbon out of the atmosphere, and you're taking that carbon and you're putting it in wood buildings in your city, and we're turning our cities from being huge sources of carbon to being the place where we store carbon away for decades to hundreds of years while we solve the rest of the whole technology problem. Then the third way is um, if we can build taller, cheaper with these wood buildings. You know, here in New England, nobody builds uh, steel and concrete buildings that are less than 12 stories tall because they're too expensive. Mm-hmm. And nobody builds stick built over about five stories tall because it's not safe. So we're leaving that five to 12 story density gap unoccupied. And as a result, you have to put those people somewhere. So you're putting them farther out into the countryside and eating into the forest. If instead we can have a denser pattern of development around public transportation, we can have less traffic congestion and save the forests around our our cities. Well, well, maybe we'll leave it there. But um, thank you for a fascinating conversation, Frank. Um, that was that was amazing. Um, and and we'll we'll link to the article. But how can people find out more about uh, what you guys are doing at the at the New England Forestry Foundation? Um, well, we have a lot of information on our website, newenglandforestry.org. Uh, we have a dedicated uh, URL, builditwithwood.org, that has um, some some information about wood construction in particular. 
but you can also access that from newenglandforestry.org. And, uh, you know, people are, uh, my contact information is up there on our about page and, you know, we're happy to, to, uh, hear from people who have questions or comments. Well, thanks so much, Frank. That was, that was great. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Adam. And, uh, I'll be interested to hear what people have to say. Perfect. Absolutely. Have a great day. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Frank Lowenstein from the New England Forestry Foundation and lead author on that article from the New York Times, Let's Fill Our Cities with Taller Wooden Buildings. Really enjoyed that conversation with Frank, Matt, and uh, I can't wait to live in a world where there's ply scrapers all around us. Yeah, you know what? I mean, one of the the takeaways from, from that talk, uh, 14% of the carbon emissions would be immediately cut if we stopped concrete construction which is just crazy yeah so i mean it's uh no it's exciting and and also a guy like frank you know when 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 australia is burning uh and has been burning uh to hear a guy like frank who's uh works in that in that space uh be a little bit optimistic about the future is uh, a little bit comforting at the very least so yeah that was a fantastic conversation but uh what else do we have adam Matt, we have our website, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, where you can check out a lot of resources. And uh, often you talk about uh, what we're mailing out. Yeah. So we got the live wire. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, where you can sign up to the live wire. We're sending out deal of the month, various stats, uh, sub-area stats, sales ratio stats. We've got the real estate board stats. There's no reason not to be on this list. We also got things like private client services. Yeah, Matt, if you're not using PCS, you're standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. It's basically realtor-level information at your fingertips. It's free. It's easy to set up. We can set up an account for you. And it is the absolute best resource out there for searching for real estate in Vancouver. So head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com for that. And Adam, we've been talking to people, and it's still it's amazing to me. We've been doing this for almost four years, and people are still unclear that we are uh, real estate agents operating in Vancouver. So we did want to remind people that if you're thinking of listing or uh, uh, property or you're trying to get into the market in any capacity, we'd love to talk to you and help you out. Um, And Adam, let's talk about upcoming guests because we got some arm burners. For sure, Matt. Upcoming guests include Ryan Berlin and Andy Ramlow from uh, Rennie Intelligence. Um, these guys, man, if anyone knows the market, these guys are like just living in the data. Um, super phenomenal conversation we had with them this week. So I can't wait for everybody to, to hear the Rennie Intelligentsia uh, on our program. So I, it's, <laughs> That's uh, right. It is phenomenal. Um, we've got an insurance uh, broker, a phenomenal insurance broker, Doug Chan, joining us to talk about the 50 to 300% increase to strata insurance that just actually is taking place right now. Everybody yeah. has questions. Doug has some answers. Um, can't wait for listeners to hear that. And then, of course, this one I'm so excited about. Gil Kelly is the GM of Planning, Urban Design, and Sustainability at the City of Vancouver. And we have Gil coming in next Thursday um, to chat with us. And I, I we've been we've been hoping well, to get Gil in the program for a very Gil's long like time. Gil's like our the, time the white whale. He's like the white whale we've been chasing, uh, and uh, and he's talking about the citywide plan. 
So, so yeah. watch for that. We also have Michael Geller joining us. And uh, Adam, you and I did a talk last week uh, and we followed Tom Davidoff, which is never a pleasant experience. But uh, we're going to line Tom back up uh, to come back on the show because, yeah, it was great seeing him. And uh, so I'm sure Tom will be back on. So it's the future is bright here at the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. For sure. And we might actually even bring that talk as an episode coming up because we are talking about the three kind of ways that we would invest in 2020. So watch for that episode coming up as well. But the, the, the key message here is we have phenomenal episodes planned for 2020 and uh, we just are so excited. Can't wait. Yeah. So don't go anywhere, hit subscribe and also go over to Vancouver real estate podcast on YouTube and subscribe because we're doing the live events. But anyway, if you want to talk about any of this at all, anything real estate related, give me a shout 778-847-2854 or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We also have that snow hotline. Info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Yeah, but not on account of snow, actually on account of that your favorite song is Informer. (laughs) Millennials, look it up and then let your backbone slide. <laughs> Have a good week, guys. What's up, man? Hey, yo, yo, what's going on, yo? I'm sick and tired of 5-0 running up on the block, you know what I'm saying? Yo, still, they came around looking for you the other day. Word, word, bust it. Informer, you know, say that I'm going to stop me, I'll go blam. I'll keep on going down. Take the money, say that I'm going to stop me, stop somebody out of land. I'll keep on going down. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. And I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Konkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate 
or volunteer and they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers, that's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. <laughs> 